Shortly after midnight on March 13th, 2020, Louisville police entered the apartment of Brianna Taylor and Kenneth Walker using a battering ram to force open the door. Brianna Taylor was shot at least eight times and pronounced dead at the scene. No drugs were found in the apartment. June 5th would have been Brianna's 27th birthday. On May 25th, 2020, George Floyd, a 46-year-old Black man, was murdered in Minneapolis, Minnesota, after Derek Chauvin, a white police officer, knelt on his neck for almost nine minutes while he was handcuffed face down in the street. And for the past week and a half, protests have been held throughout the world demanding justice for not just George Floyd, but all Black people murdered from police brutality. Police brutality is not new. It has been happening for many years as the result of systemic racism, and it must be stopped. Too many Black lives have been stolen at the hands of white police officers who walk away with nothing more than a slap on the wrist. Today, we're joined by Jocelyn Harper, host of the Get Cute podcast, to discuss the Black Lives Matter movement and to learn more about how you can get involved. So thank you so much, Jocelyn, for joining us today. Uh, We really appreciate your time, and um, I would love to learn maybe... Just introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, sure. Um, My name is Jocelyn Harper. Um, I do have the Get Cute podcast, but before that, I am a senior software engineer. Um, I worked at like J.P. Morgan Chase Capital One, mainly in fintech. Um, And I got into technology through a boot camp. So I was actually a receptionist before I became a software engineer. And I've been in tech for about four years now. And... uh, being Black is, has obviously always been a very strong part of my identity. And uh, I feel like being in tech has even um, further, like, given me a voice um, and a platform to talk about the injustice um, that Black people, especially Black women, face on a day-to-day basis. So I'm just really excited that um, you invited me on the podcast so I can share that with your audience. Of course. Um, I think it might be beneficial just to open the conversation talking about why are racism and privilege so hard for people, especially white people, to talk about? I <laughs> I think it's really hard because, especially when it comes to racism, I think the worst thing that you can ever tell a white person is that they're racist. They don't care about what they said and why it may be racist, but the fact that you called them racist is a problem. And they immediately get defensive about that. Um, I personally don't have an issue with calling somebody racist if they say something racist. I know that some of my counterparts are like, well, if you frame it to them in this way, if you say that what they said was racist, but I don't think I should coddle people when they say things like that. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that um, non-Black people of color and white people have the tendency to get very defensive about something like that. And then about privilege. Um, I think that when we talk about privilege, uh, people don't understand that privilege is like a multi-tiered thing. Even amongst the Black community, there are tiers of privilege. Like I'm privileged because of how much I make and the education I have and the job that I have. Um, But I'm also very aware of that. And I use that privilege for what I feel like is for good within my community and broader. Um, But specifically, I've seen with white people, they always think of privilege as money. Well, I grew up poor, so I can't have privilege. Well, 
no, that's not what we're talking about. I'm sorry that you grew up poor. A lot of us, including myself, grew up poor as well. But you do realize that just being born white, you've already been afforded a certain level of privilege within society that I, as a Black woman, do not have. And I think if we change the way that people think about privilege, it's, it's not money. Money is a part of it. Um, but that's not necessarily what that means. Um, when you're born into a country as the United States, where we are literally was built upon the backs of African-American and indigenous people, um, and there's nothing but systematic oppression and systematic racism put in place since the beginning of this country, um, that is the privileges that we're talking about. We're not talking about wealth. We're not talking about money. That Those are factors of privilege, yes. But in the grand scheme of things, we're talking about how just the color of your skin affords you um, better options and a better life other than Black people in America. I think you off, like, we often don't realize what privileges we have because we've always had them. And it really takes some, you have to sit there and think, you know, list out, you know, really think through what those privileges are. And there, and I know personally, like in my own, you know, for myself, there are a lot of things that come up later um, when I was going through grad school, going through the social work program, where I learned a lot more about the privileges that I had that I didn't realize that I had before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I heard something. I think I was, I was reading So You Want to Talk About Race, which is an amazing book. We'll link in the show notes. And she said a couple of things that really resonated with me. One was, as a white person, I've never had to consciously think about the fact that I'm white. And that shows my white privilege. Um, and some people, going back to this concept of privilege and uh, systemic racism, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge their privilege and the fact that systemic racism exists because they've benefited from it. You know, as white people, um, why do you think we are where we are? Why do you think white people are uh, afforded these kinds of privileges? And it's because it was built, like, from the book, and I please correct me if I'm wrong, Jocelyn, but I think her point was like systemic racism was set in place so that white people could benefit at the suppression of black people. Um, they needed to get ahead. They wanted to get ahead. Um, and we'll talk more about this in our book club episode on So You Want to Talk About Race. But a lot of people are uncomfortable admitting that they played a part in that and they don't want to speak up and acknowledge that, hey, I played a part in systemic racism and I have these privileges. Um, and I think you're not expected to feel badly necessarily that you have privileges, but you're supposed to use them for good. You're supposed to use your platform to acknowledge systemic racism, to speak up, to educate others. Yeah. And I think it also comes down to um, people not realizing the history behind it as well. I know that when you bring up privilege, um, a lot of people say, or a lot of white people say that, um, well, I didn't own slaves, so why does that matter? And it's like, okay, you're right. You you didn't personally own slaves. That's kind of over now. Um, but also, you still benefit from what that meant. And, and I also feel like people just don't know the history behind it. Like I said, like people don't know about Black Wall Street. People don't understand that um, Black Americans were actually prosperous at one point. And white people at the time didn't like that. And then burned the entire city to the ground. And that's happened again 
and again and again to Black Americans. So I think that when it comes to privilege, you need to understand history. You need to understand more than whatever your school at the time uh, teaches you because it varies per state, per district, per school. Um, And I think that when it comes down to educating I feel like Americans just don't want to do that for some reason as a whole. They don't want to Google. They don't want to read books. They don't want to do anything. It's like once I'm through school, I'm done. Like I've been taught everything I need to know about it. And uh, there's just so much more that, like myself, Black Americans are forced to continue to learn that through through day-to-day interactions. They're like, why is this person looking at me weird? Like, these are the things that you have to kind of go through as a Black American that white people never have to deal with. Um, well, maybe white people would think, well, oh, God, is my hair off or something like that? But when somebody's looking at me weird in public, my first thought is, is it because I'm Black if I'm with a white friend? Like, is there something there? So Black Americans learn it through day-to-day experiences out of school for the rest of our lives. But... um, White people don't have to do that. They don't have to reflect on that at all. For sure. So many thoughts here. I think that there's such a self-made type narrative, especially in the United States, and nobody is self-made. We just did an episode on Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, and there are so many different factors that lead to success. And so I think when we're talking about privilege, as a white person, you can still struggle, but you're not struggling on account of your race. And I think that that's an important point to make. Um, is that, And then the, that there are layers of privilege and they're intersectional. So there's white privilege, there's male privilege, there's class privilege, and all these things layer on top of each other to make different people's lives easier or more difficult on account of those factors in their lives. There was a tweet that went around the other day talking about what age were you when you had your first black teacher? And I sat there and I realized I have never in my life had a black professor or teacher, which horrifies me. I grew up in a very small, uh, privileged town about two hours north of New York City and never had a grade school teacher who was black, let alone did I have any people of color teaching me? I'm not sure. I can't remember. Um, And in college, I went to a very small Catholic private school. uh, And we did not learn the history of the United States and how systemic racism came to be. And that was probably a result of who was teaching me. Uh, But my point here is, if you do not have the proper education provided to you that teaches you about the history of how systemic racism came about, you need to be intentional about educating yourself. It's not an excuse if, you know, you aren't taught these things in school. Um, You need to take accountability. Right. And I will say that a lot of, to no fault to the people that weren't taught that, but a lot of history books in the U.S. are kind of glossed over when it comes to Black history in the United States, which is why I take Black History Month so seriously, because a lot of these things weren't taught. I wasn't taught about the Toledo riots or Black Wall Street when I was in school. I learned that Fred just happening upon it in a book, and I'm like, wait, what happened to us? So it's it's been a lot of trying to glaze over. It's more like, well, if we talk about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, then like that, the civil rights movement, like 
yeah, we did slavery, but then the civil rights movement happened and things are okay now, but they, it doesn't talk about what happened in between and what's happening after the civil rights movement as well. Yeah, that's definitely a problem. Um, one of the arguments that I see on Twitter primarily, because that's where I get a lot of my news these days, uh, are we're seeing a lot of white people and others like I've seen people in Europe, especially to uh, me being here. It's a very interesting climate right now um, saying all lives matter. And I want to talk about this and call this out because <laughs> I don't even know how to like say my thoughts in words right now. Um <laughs> Let's talk about this for a second. Uh, Jocelyn, do you want to take a stab at this or would you like me to? <laughs> I mean, if you want to start and then I can. Cut yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Let's see if my English will uh, work for me today. So okay. uh, there's a there's a cartoon that's been going around that helped me. It helped, uh, I guess, human or not humanize, but it was more of a metaphor, I guess. So, um, you know, let's say there's one house on fire in a community and you know, they say, go call it like, we need to do something. Let's put this fire out. And a neighbor comes along and say, well, what about my house? And it's like, your house is not on fire. And we're not saying your house is any uh, less important than the house that's on fire. But, you know, we need to address what's happening right now. I did a terrible job explaining that, I realized. Uh, <laughs> so please help me. I'm no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I know. I know the tweet that you're talking about. And yeah, it, it, essentially, that is right. Um, so... I feel like people that say all lives matter are just, I don't know if they're purposely being obtuse or if their minds are really wired to to the, what about me? And when we say Black Lives Matter, of course we know that all lives matter. We're not saying that other lives don't matter. But currently in the United States, other people's lives aren't at this fever pitch where we are consistently being murdered in the streets and nothing is being done about it with justice. We don't have these police officers being held accountable for this. So yes, Black Lives Matter because we as a community are realizing that Black Americans are on the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to lives in the United States. And I've said this in many talks before, until the lowest people in your society are held to a high standard, then it's not equal. It's not going to be equal. You can't sit there and be happy with how your life is going when people are being oppressed under you. And perhaps I'm just sensitive and I've always been sensitive to things like this, but I just don't understand not realizing that everybody should be treated equally. And the all lives matter thing, it's just so, sometimes people just like throw it out there. And I don't, sometimes I think that they don't fully realize what's happening and why they said that. It's maybe it's their need to be included in something. Um, well, I'm very glad that you've never had to have a protest or a movement to like identify with your government and your country that you're important. So please stop killing us in cold blood. I don't even know what else to say because it's just so I know. odd to me um, that it's just, of course, we know that all lives matter, but 
at this moment and always Black Lives Matter as well. There were two other analogies that I saw um, in terms of Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. Uh, The first one being if you have four dogs and one of your dogs gets sick, of course you still care about all four of your dogs, but you need to care for the dog that is currently sick. And the second one I saw was if you're raising money for breast cancer research, somebody's not going to, you're not going to go up to somebody and be like, or doing that saying, well, all cancers matter. That's a good one. And all lives don't matter until black lives also matter. So it's not like they're the two different circles on the chart or anything like that. Black lives are part of all lives. And I think that's actually a really good point, Allie, because when people say that, they kind of are telling on themselves that they don't view black lives within all lives matter. Yeah. Yeah. People, uh, I've noticed that a lot of people are talking a lot about how they feel right now. And it's not about them. It's about what is happening with this Black Lives Movement. Um, That's what's really important. Um, Let's maybe talk about why being silent is being complicit. I see a lot of this also happening on Twitter where, you know, we're calling people out, people with big platforms, because they've stayed silent. How is this detrimental to the Black Black Lives Matter movement right now? Yeah, that's a really great point. So being silent means that you are okay with what's happening. Um, That's the bottom line. If you are afraid of being uncomfortable, imagine how uncomfortable Black people are are having to talk about it day-to-day and experience this on a day-to-day or just opening up your phone, like with George Floyd just happening to wake up, look at Twitter and you see another Black man trending because they're dead from a police officer. That's uncomfortable for me. That's something that I have to personally deal with and process. So when non-Black people of color and white people are silent, your silence is deadly for us. Um, There's no other way to put that because we, as Black Americans, have been vocal about this For decades, it wasn't just when Ferguson happened. It was for literal decades. And we've seen where our voices are heard. And it's not often until we start getting violent. And so we need non-Black people of color and white people to start speaking about it. One of my the best examples, maybe on a smaller scale, is that white people don't talk to racist people in their families um, around the holidays. And it just irritates me so badly is that when people are talking about, oh, no, I have to go home to Thanksgiving and my racist uncle and aunt are going to be there. It's going to be so uncomfortable. Well, okay, it can be uncomfortable, but also make it uncomfortable for them by talking about why they're wrong. <laughs> Don't just sit there silently because, oh, well, my mom, it's it's past that because their racism is deadly. And I think that silence is just never the answer for anything. And I, I mean, I had to force myself to not be silent. I, if you can imagine years, years ago, I was really shy. But I mean, you have to face these things heads on. Nobody's telling you to that you have to go into the streets and protest with us. That's fine. Um, but you need to start attacking these things at home 
And then if you get more comfortable with that home, then by all means, go to Twitter and start talking about it. Um, I'm really glad that I have seen more and more people talking about it, but I just wish it didn't take another Black man dying for people to realize that this is a serious, serious problem and to speak up about it. I also wish people weren't just, oh my gosh, this makes me so angry. I see a lot of companies hopping on the bandwagon of like, I'm going to post, you know, the Black square to Instagram with a statement or just like the hashtag. And I'm like, you waited a week. You waited a week for other companies who are proactive in changing their policies and donating money and saying something to post a a black square on your Instagram feed with a hashtag. I don't believe this is something that you care about. I believe you just wanted to they face increase your yep. keep your profits. Yes, exactly. It's that so <laughs> it's so annoying <laughs> when companies do that, especially when they're companies that have benefited off of black culture and black money, and all you can do is post a square on Instagram. And I don't this may be a hot, a hot topic, but I don't necessarily agree with the blackout that happened, like the blackout mm-hmm. Tuesday. I woke up that day and I was very confused as to why that was happening. Um, but I feel as though there, as much as I hate companies doing that for marketing, there have been companies that I feel like actually did a very well job, a very, very good job at putting the message out there and also donating money. Um, two of those companies would be Ben & Jerry's, but Ben & Jerry's has always yeah. been about that work. <laughs> They've always yeah. been about it. Um, and then surprisingly, oh, Lego, yeah. which was very exciting for me, donating $4 million and then also pulling all cop-related toys from shelves was massive. So there are companies that actually care, but then I just... it's something so performative about people doing it because they're like, oh, crap, all of these other companies are doing it. So I guess we should do it And here's the thing. Yes, it is uncomfortable to say something, especially when you don't know what to say. But by staying silent, you'd rather not be uncomfortable. And the reality is we are all learning. We're going to be making mistakes in the things that we say, but we need to sit with that discomfort. We need to be comfortable mm-hmm. with being corrected when we are wrong. And again, sitting with that, because that's the only way that we're going to learn. But by, but by staying silent because you're afraid of saying the wrong thing, it's not helping anybody except yourself. And I also want to say too, this is something I had to grow a lot in the past year. If a Black person or a person of color corrects you, for something that you say and you get defensive, this is not about you or how you feel. All feedback should be welcomed and you should not sit there and tell them, I don't like the tone you're using with me or, um, you know, you could be a little bit nicer. No, they don't owe you anything. They're doing you a favor by even telling you, like educating you on what you said was wrong, why that was wrong. Um, You don't get to choose how they convey that to you. Um, And they talk about that a lot in so you want to talk about race, which I found very enlightening. <laughs> yeah, about like digging yourself into a hole and at some point you need to you need to cut your losses and you're saying, I cannot fix this. This situation is what it is. And again, accept that, uh, you know, really understand what went wrong here so you can learn from it and not make that same mistake again. Yeah. 
One last topic I want to quickly touch before we move into what people can do and, and how they can make a difference is why should we say Black people instead of people of color right now? Yeah, it's really simple. Um, this is also a huge pet peeve of mine. Um, it seems that we've gotten into a situation where people are uncomfortable with saying Black. Um, we've seen that with African-American, which is a phrase that I no longer use to identify myself with because I am a Black American. Um, people that actually have immigrated from Africa to America are African-Americans. I have never been to Africa, so I am not an African-American. I am a Black American. Um, but when people are talking about race issues, especially specifically when it happens to Black people, by saying people of color, you're erasing the Black experience. And we've already had that so much in history. It's a huge thing that when you're talking about what's going on in Minnesota and what's going on in the United States, you need to say it's happening to Black people, to Black people. It's like, I wouldn't say anything about, this is the only example I can think of, what happened to Indigenous people in America with the Trail of Tears, I wouldn't say people of color went through that. I would say, no, indigenous people in America went through that. So when you're talking about the Black experience, don't erase us by saying people of color. Because, yes, it happens to people of color as well. But right now, it's happening to Black people. And I think it's very, very important that non-Black people of color and white people understand that you you have to get over this fear of saying black and perhaps maybe I mean I really don't understand don't know I haven't ever wanted to not say black um perhaps maybe there's something going on that if you say black the people might perceive you that like you're racist or something of that nature but I mean a lot of black people still go by african-american but the majority of black americans prefer you just call them black americans just say black people yeah, I definitely felt uncomfortable with this at first. And and the thing is, I don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. It was just this like innate fear where if I I felt where if I publicly tweeted and I used um black people as opposed to like people of color, like, yeah, to your point, I don't know. It was just like this innate fear that I had. And then I realized this is not about me. Like it, it's about um communicating correctly about the black community, what is happening is not happening to all people of color. This is happening to the black community. And regardless of how uncomfortable I am saying black people, that's, that it is, that's the truth of it right now. And yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly where that came from. I, I guess maybe growing up, we were just taught to say African-American. Maybe that's what it was. It, it mm-hmm. was seen as more polite, Yeah, um, but it's not correct. <laughs> Yeah, I think it also might be because I think there's a there's a very thin line between saying black people and then blacks. So black people, okay. Blacks, not okay. <laughs> so I think that might be it too, as far as people could because obviously um back during the civil rights movement, um, and still some people say today, but blacks was seen as like a very dehumanizing thing um to call black people. And so I think that's where the shift happened as far as where African-American came in. Um, But now we're just shifting back to saying, no, it's okay to call us Black people, but just Blacks is never, never okay. (laughs) One question that I have for you is, I see Black folk a lot. Mm. Is folk more uh, respectable than saying people, or is it just just a 
a word choice that people make? I think that's just a word choice that Black Americans make. It usually is tied to AAVE, where um, we just, well, or if you're Southern. So I'm Southern, so (laughs) Black folk tends to come out too. Um, Yeah, but yeah, uh, Black people is is fine. Okay, thank you for that. No problem. Um, So let's wrap things up. Let's talk about how people can learn more, how they can educate themselves, and what they can do. Um, let's, you know, some of the things that I think we can, that we've done or that, you know, we can encourage our listeners to go and do are donate money to organizations working to fight racial oppression and support black communities. Um, but also supporting black businesses. There are so many tweets going around too of black, um, owned businesses that you can absolutely go and support, uh, we're going to link all of these things in the show notes. Uh, please go check them out. There's also, was it rebuildblackbusinesses.com? Rebuildblackbusiness.com. Re- thank you. Rebuildblackbusiness.com. Um, voting. Please vote. It's not a sexy topic, but it's an important topic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, being an active bystander, um, you know, if you see something, say something. You know, again, silence is is complicit. That's not the right word. Uh, it's being silent is being complicit. Um, be an active bystander, uh, and, and be vocal. Um, Jocelyn, are there other things that, that we as white people can do to help, you know, the movement? Yeah. Uh, specifically for white people, I think that, um, white people need to stop centering the narrative around themselves. I think we touched on this a bit earlier in the episode. Um, I think you talked about that, Emma, where um, this is no longer about you. And uh, as uncomfortable as that may be and in, in how uncomfortable that may make you seem, it's right now is a time to listen to Black people. Um, it's really important that you also diversify uh, who you are following and who you listen to. So there was something going around Twitter maybe a few days ago, where um, people were challenging other people, um, specifically in tech Twitter, to follow Black tech people. Like, if you're not, if you don't have a diverse amount of opinion, no matter where you are, but I'll say Twitter because I'm on that the most, then of course you're going to create this echo chamber where you you're kind of blind to what's happening. So I think it's really important that um, white people at this time, they go out and make themselves look for diverse voices and diverse Black voices and listen to them, um, listen to what they're saying. Uh, I feel like people on Twitter, specifically white people, when something racial happens, they have a tendency to try to debate and my life isn't really up to debate for you. So um, I'm the type of person that usually doesn't respond or I tell them to Google, which usually pisses them off. But it's (laughs) it's not my job to educate you about what's happening. I said what I said, and you can go forth and research somehow for that. Um, I think it's just really important that white people just listen to Black people and also support them, raise their voices up. If you have a high follower account, retweet them or quote tweet them. Even and, if you don't have a high follower uh, account. I mean, people, your your audience no. is still different people. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Just please, please just retweet and support and 
Talk about it. Talk to your family about it. Post it on Facebook. If you have to argue with somebody on Facebook, some beauty people have been like, well, I just had to argue with so-and-so on Facebook. about." I'm like, great. Make them uncomfortable. Make them feel like they're a jerk because they are. Um, it's just really important right now that white people support and uplift Black people and just don't center the narrative around themselves. Um, this is not something that's going to go away within a week or a month or even a year. Um, I really do think that the way the entire country has just completely had it is going to be, things are going to be at a fever pitch for a very, very long time. And so this is going to be lifelong work. It's just not I agree. Also, touching back on the giving money, giving money right now is great, but giving monthly donations, if you can afford it, is even better. And uh, holy shit, if you have one of those long ass (laughs) posts, follow all these people in tech with a thousand people tagged uh, to Jocelyn's point. For the love of everything in this world, please do not let it be all white men. Please, I've called this out multiple times, but like it needs to be said again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Jocelyn, not just from us and from me, but for anyone listening today, you've, you did not owe us anything today by coming on and talking with us and sharing all of your expertise, but your, your thoughts, honestly. Um, So I just, I genuinely want to say thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Sincerely. It's been great. Absolutely. Of course. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. In the show notes, everyone listening, we have linked everything we've mentioned today. We have linked organizations that you can donate to. You know, we've uh, listed Color of Change, the NAACP, Black Lives Matter, Black Girls Code, Code 2040, 2040. I don't know how to say numbers anymore. Um, If you can donate your time and skills, Rebuild Black Business is a great place to start. And again, we'll link a bunch of books that you can use to educate yourself. But the next part of this story is up to you. You need to take that initiative and educate yourself and also diversify your timeline. So once again, thank you, Jocelyn. And um, I'm looking forward to how we can all make a difference. Yeah, it'll be very exciting. We are in a very particular spot in history right now. Thank you. Thank you. you.